Story One of the Times Red Cross Storybook by Famous Novelists Serving in His Majesty's Forces. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Times Red Cross Storybook by Famous Novelists Serving in His Majesty's Forces by Various. Story One De Moussy and the Pistol by a e w mason manchester regiment one in the maps of morocco you will see stretching southwards of the city of mechanes a great tract of uncharted country it is lawless and forbidden land even the sultan mulai el hassan that great fighter omitted it from his expeditions but certain tribes are known to inhabit it such as the beni mature and certain villages can be assigned a locality such as agurai which lies one long day's journey from the renegade's gate of mechenis at agure dimuzai was born and lived for the first fifteen years of his life dimuzi the englishman as he was called though in features and colour he had the look of an arab with just a strain of negro blood at the age of fifteen a desire to see the world laid hold upon dimuzi as far as the eye could see from any mound about the village there stretched on every side a rolling plain silent and empty hardly a bird sang in the air above it and everywhere it was dark with bushes wherein the flowers of asphodel gleamed pale and small dimoussi wearied of the plain one thin reddish line meandered uncertainly from north to south a stone's throw from the village where the feet of men and mules passing at rare intervals through many centuries had beaten down a path along this path dimoussi allowed his fancies to carry him into a world of enchantment and one spring morning his feet carried him along it too for half a dozen men of the beni mature carrying almonds and walnuts into mechanes happened to pass a gurai at a moment when dimoussi was watching and his mother was at work on a patch of tilled ground out of sight dimoussi had no other parent than his mother he ran into the hut with its tent roof of sacking and its sides of rough hurdles which was his home searched in a corner for a big brass-barrelled pistol which had long been the pride of the establishment and hiding it under his ragged jellaba he ran down the track and joined himself on to the tiny caravan the next morning he came to mechanes where he parted company with the tribesmen Dimoussi had not so much as a copper fluce upon him, but on the other hand he had a pistol and the whole world in front of him. And what reasonable boy could want more? All that day he wandered about the streets, gaping at the houses, at the towers of the mosques, and at the stalls in the markets, but as the afternoon declined, hunger got hold of him. His friends of yesterday had vanished. Somehow he must get food. He fingered the pistol under his jellaba irresolutely. He walked along a street which he came to know afterwards as the Sok Kuba. In the middle was built a square tent of stone with an open arch at each side and a pointed roof of fluted tiles trailed over by a vine. Just beyond this stone tent the street narrowed, and on the left-hand side a man who sold weapons squatted upon the floor of a dark booth how much asked dimoussi producing his pistol but loath to let it go the shopman looked at dimoussi and looked at the pistol then he tossed it carelessly behind him into the litter of his booth 
that is no good as sure as my name is mustapha it would not kill a rabbit but see my heart is kind i will give you three dollars he counted them out demosi stolidly shook his head seven said he mustapha reached behind him for the pistol and flung it down at demosi's feet take it away said he i will not haggle with foolish boys who have stolen a thing of no value and wish to sell it at a great price take it away yet out of my charity i will give you four dollars five said demosi and five he received he bought rice and eggs in the market and turned under an old archway of green tiles into the fondukina there he cooked his food at a fire ate and proposed to sleep but fate had laid her hand upon demosi he slept not at all that night he sat with his back propped against the filigree plaster of one of the pillars and listened to a moor of the shirada tribe who smoked keef and talked until morning yes said the shirada man i have travelled far and wide now i go to my own village of sigota on jebel zeron have you been to fez asked demosi eagerly i have lived in fez i served in the army of my lord the sultan until i was bored with it it is a fine town and a large one the river flows in a hundred streams underneath the houses in every house there is running water but it is nothing to the town of mulai idris demosi clasped his hands about his knees oh tell me tell me he cried so loudly that in the shadows of the fondak men stirred upon their straw and cursed him i have also travelled to rabat a great town upon the sea whither many consuls come in fireships a great town draped with flowers and cactus but it is nothing to mulai idris there are no consuls in mulai idris all through his talk the name of mulai idris the sacred city on the slope of jebel zaran came and went like a shuttle of a loom the Sherarda Moor thought highly of the life in Moulay Idris, since it was possible to live there without work. Pilgrims came to visit the shrine of the founder of the Moorish Empire with offerings in their hands, and the whole township lived and lived well upon those offerings. Moreover, there were no Europeans or consuls, as he termed them the moor spoke at length and with hatred of the europeans pale ungainly creatures in ridiculous clothes given over to the devil people with a clever knack of invention no doubt in the matter of firearms and cameras and spy-glasses but man for man no match for any moor only three cities are safe from them now in all morocco sheshawan in the north tafilat in the south and mulai idris but mulai idris is safest once a party of them englishmen came rising up the steep road to the gate even there but from the walls we stoned them back god's curse on them let them stay at home but they must always be pushing somewhere demosi recognizing in himself a point of kinship with the consuls said gravely i am an englishman the Sherarda man laughed as though he had heard an excellent joke and continued to discourse upon the splendors of mulai idris until the sleepers waked in their corners and the keeper flung open the door and the gray daylight crept into the fondouk oh tell me said dimizi the city is far from here set out now you will be in mulai idris before sunset demosi rose to his feet i will go to mulai idris said he 
and he went out into the cool clear air the sherarda moor accompanied demasi to the bardane gate and there they parted company the boy going northward the moor following the eastward track towards fez he had done his work though what he had done he did not know at noon demasi came upon a high tableland as empty as the plains which stretched about his native agurai far away upon his left the dark serrated edge of jebel garuan stood out against the sky nearer to him upon his right rose the high rock of jebel zarhon in some fold of that mountain lay this fabulous city of mulai idris Demosi walked forward a tiny figure in that vast solitude there were no villages there were no trees anywhere the plateau extended ahead of him like a softly heaving sea as far as the eye could reach it was covered with bushes in flower and here and there an acre of marigolds or a field of blue lupins decked it out as though someone had chosen to make a garden there then suddenly upon demosi's right the hillside opened and in the recess he saw mulai idris a city high-placed and dazzlingly white which tumbled down the hillside like a cascade divided at its apex by a great white mosque the mosque was the tomb of mulai idris the founder of the empire demosi dropped upon his knees and bowed his forehead to the ground mulai idris he whispered in a voice of exultation yesterday he had never even heard the name of the town to-day the mere sight of it lifted him into a passion of fervour those white walls masked a crowded city of filth and noisome smells but demosi walked on air and his desire to see more of the world died away altogether he was in the most sacred place in all morocco and there he stayed there was no need for him to work he had the livelong day wherein to store away in his heart the sayings of his elders and amongst those sayings there was not one that he heard more frequently than this there are too many europeans in morocco fanaticism was in the very stones of the town demosi saw it shining somberly in the eyes of the men who paced and rode about the streets he felt it behind the impassivity of their faces it came to him as an echo of their constant prayers demasi began to understand it once or twice he saw the europeans during that spring for close by in the plain a great stone arch and some broken pillars showed where the roman city of volubilis had stood and by those ruins once or twice a party of europeans encamped demasi visited each encampment begging money of the consuls and watched with curiosity the queer mechanical things they carried with them their cameras their weapons their folding mirrors their brushes and combs but on each visit he became more certain that there were too many europeans in morocco a jihad is needed said one of the old men sitting outside the gate a holy war to exterminate them it is not easy to start a jihad replied demosi the elders stroked their beards and laughed superciliously you are young and foolish demosi a single shot from a gun and all mograbin is in flame yes and he that fired the shot certain of paradise not one of them had thought to fire the shot they were chatterers of vain words but the words sank into demosi's mind for demosi was different he began to think as he put it as a matter of fact he began to feel 
he went up to the tomb of mulai idris bribed the guardian who sat with a wand in the court outside the shrine to let him pass and for the first time in his life stood within the sacred place the shrine was dark and the ticking of the clocks in the gloom filled Dimozi's soul with awe and wonderment for the shrine was crowded with clocks grandfather clocks with white faces and gold faces and enameled faces stood side by side along the walls marking every kind of hour eight-day clocks stood upon pedestals and niches and the whole room whirred and ticked and chimed never had Dimozi dreamed of anything so marvellous there were glass balls too dangling from the roof on silver strings and red bays hanging from the tomb Demozi bowed his head and prayed for the jihad, and as he prayed in that dark and solitary place, there came to him an inspiration. It seemed that Mulai Idris himself laid his hand upon the boy's head. It needed only one man, only one shot, to start the jihad. He raised his head, and all the ticking clocks cried out to him, "'Thou art the man!' Demozi left the shrine with his head high in the air and a proudness in his gait, for he had his mission. Thereafter he lay in wait upon the track over the plain to Mequinez, watching the north and the south for the coming of the traveller. During the third week of his watching, he saw advancing along the track mules carrying the baggage of Europeans. Demozi crouched in the bushes and let them pass with the muleteers a good way behind them the europeans rode slowly upon horses as they came opposite to demozy one a dark thin man stretched out his arm and turning to his companions said challoner there is mulai idris at once demozy sprang to his feet he did not mean to be robbed of his great privilege he shook his head lar lar he cried bad men in mulai idris they will stone you you go to mekinez the man who had already spoken laughed we are not going to mulai idris he replied he was a man named arden who had spent the greater part of many years in morocco going up and down that country in the guise of a moor and so counterfeiting accent and tongue and manners that he had even prayed in their mosques and escaped detection you are english asked Dimuzi. yes come on challoner and then to his astonishment as his horse stepped on demozy cried out actually in english one two three and away arden stopped his horse where did you learn that he asked and he asked in english but demozy had spoken the only five words of english he knew and even those he did not understand arden repeated the question in arabic and demozy answered with a smile i too am english oh are you said arden with a laugh and he rode on these moors love a joke he learned the words over there no doubt from the tourists at volubilis do you see those blocks of stone along the track yes answered challoner how do they come here old mulai ishmael the sultan built the greater palace at mekinez two hundred years ago from the ruins of volubilis these stones were dragged down by the captives of the sali pirates and by the english prisoners from tangier said challoner suddenly 
yes replied arden with some surprise for there was a certain excitement in his companion's voice and manner the english were prisoners until the siege ended and we gave up tangier and they were released when mulai ismail died all these men dragging stones just dropped them and left them where they lay by the track there they have remained ever since it's strange isn't it yes said challoner thoughtfully he was a young man with the look of a student rather than a traveller he rode slowly on looking about him as though at each turn of the road he expected to see some englishman in a tattered uniform of the tangier foot leaning upon a block of masonry and wiping the sweat from his brow two of my ancestors were prisoners here in mequinez he said they were captured together at the fall of the henrietta fort in sixteen eighty and brought up here to work on mulai ismail's palace it's strange to think that they dragged these stones down this very track i don't suppose that the country has changed at all they must have come up from the coast by the same road we followed passed the same villages and heard the paria dogs bark at night just as we have done arden glanced in surprise at his companion i did not know that i suppose that is the reason why you wish to visit mequinez challoner's sudden desire to travel inland to this town had been a mystery to arden he knew challoner well and knew him for a dilettante an amiable amateur of the arts a man always upon the threshold of a new interest but never by any chance on the other side of the door and above all a stay-at-home now the reason was explained yes challoner admitted i was anxious to see mequinez both men came home when peace was declared i suppose said arden no only one came home james challoner the other luke turned renegade to escape the sufferings of slavery and was never allowed to come back the two men were brothers i discovered the story by chance i was looking over the papers in the library one morning in order to classify them and i came across a manuscript play written by a challoner after the restoration between the leaves of the play an old faded letter was lying it had been written by james on his return to luke's wife telling her she would never see luke again i will show you the letter this evening that's a strange story said arden was nothing heard of luke afterwards nothing no doubt he lived and died in mechanism challoner looked back as he spoke demossi was still standing amongst the bushes watching the travellers recede from him his plan was completely formed there would be a jihad to-morrow and the honour of it would belong to demossi of agurai he felt in the leathern wallet which swung at his side upon a silk orange-coloured cord he had ten dollars in that wallet he walked in the rear of the travellers to mequinez and reached the town just before sunset he went at once to the great square by the renegade's gate where the horses are brought to roll in the dust on their way to the watering fountain there were many there at the moment and the square was thick with dust like a mist but through the mist in a corner demossi saw the tents of the travellers and in front of the tents from wall to wall a guard of soldiers sitting upon the ground in a semicircle demossi was in no hurry he loitered there until darkness followed upon the sunset and the stars came out he saw lights burning in the tents 
and through the open doorway one the man who had spoken to him arden stretched upon a lounge chair reading a paper which he held in his hand Demosy went once more to the Fondacina and made up for the wakeful night he had passed here with a moor of the Sherarda tribe by sleeping until morning with a particular soundness. 2. The paper which Arden was reading was the faded letter written at Berry Street, St. James's, on April 14, 1684, by the James Challoner, who had returned to the wife of Luke Challoner, who had turned renegade. Arden took a literal copy of that letter, and it is printed here from that copy. Berry Street, St. James's, April 14, 1684. My dear Pamela, I have just now come back from Whitehall, where I was most graciously received by His Majesty, who asked many questions about our sufferings among the Moors, and promised rewards with so fine a courtesy and condescension, that my four years of slavery were all forgotten. Indeed, my joy would have been rare, but I knew that the time would come when I must go back to my lodging and write to you news that will go near to break your heart. Why did my brother not stay quietly at home with his wife, at whose dear side his place was? But he must suddenly leave his house and come out to his younger brother at Tangier, who was never more sorry to see any man than I was to see Luke, for we were hard-pressed. The Moors had pushed their trenches close under our walls, and any night the city might fall. And now I am come safely home though there is no dear heart to break for me, and Luke must forever stay behind. For that is the bitter truth. We shall see no more of Luke, and you, my dear, are widowed, and yet no widow. Oh, why did you let him go, knowing how quick he is to take fire, and how quick to cool? I too am to blame, for I kept him by me out of my love for him, and that was his undoing. In May I commanded the Henrietta Fort, and Luke was a volunteer with me. For five days we were attacked night and day, we were cut off from the town, there was no hope that way, and all our ammunition and water consumed, and most of us wounded or killed. So late in the night of the 13th we were compelled to surrender upon promise of our lives. Luke and I were carried up to Mekinez, and there set to build a wall, which was to stretch from that town to Morocco City, so that a blind man might travel all those many miles safely without a guide. I will admit that our sufferings were beyond endurance. We slept underground, in close earth dungeons, down to which we must crawl on our hands and knees, and at day we labored in the sunlight, starved and thirsting, no man knowing when the whip of the taskmaster would fall across his back, and yet sure it would fall. Luke was not to be blamed, to be pitied, rather. He was of a finer, more delicate nature. What was pain to us was anguish and torture to him. One night I crept down into my earth alone, and the next day he walked about Mequinez with the robes of a moor. He had turned renegade. I was told that the bashaw had taken him into his service, but I never had the opportunity of speech with him again, although I once heard his voice. That was six months afterwards, when peace had been re-established between His Majesty and the Emperor. Part of the terms of the peace was that the English captives should be released and sent down to the coast, but the renegade must stay behind. 
i pleaded with the bashaw that luke might be set free too but could by no means persuade him we departed from mekinez one early morning and on the city wall stood the bashaw's house and as i came opposite to it i saw a hand wave farewell from a narrow window-slit and heard luke's voice cry farewell bravely pamela bravely james challoner when arden had finished this letter he walked out of the tent passed through the semicircle of sentinels and stood in front of the renegade's gate there challoner joined him and both men looked at the great arch for a while without speaking it rose black against a violet and starlit sky the pattern of its colored tiles could not be distinguished but even in the darkness something of its exquisite delicacy could be perceived luke challoner very likely worked upon that arch said arden yet as i read that letter it seemed so very human very near as though it had been written yesterday i wonder what became of him said challoner from some house on the city wall he waved his hand to his brother and cried farewell bravely i wonder what became of him i will take a photograph of that gate to-morrow said arden three the next morning demosi came out of the fondak hina and walked to the little booth of the sok kuba mustapha was squatting upon the floor and with a throbbing heart demosi noticed the familiar pistol shining against the dark wall behind it had not been sold give it to me he said mustapha took the pistol from the nail on which it hung it is worth fourteen dollars said he but see to every man his chance comes i am in a good mind to-day my health is excellent and my heart is light you shall have it for twelve demoisy took the pistol in his hand it had a flint-lock and was mounted in polished brass and a cover of brass was on the heel of the butt that is not worth twelve i will give you seven for it mustapha raised his hands in a gesture of indignation seven dollars he cried in a shrill angry voice hear him seven dollars look it comes from akadir in the Sus country where they make the best weapons he pointed out to demoisy certain letters upon the plate underneath the lock there it is written demoisy could not read but he nodded his head sagely yes it is worth seven said he the shopman snatched it away from the boy i will not be angry for it is natural to boys to be foolish but i will tell you the truth i gave eight dollars for it after much bargaining but it has hung in my shop for a year and no one any more has money therefore i will sell it to you for um, ten he felt behind his back and showed demoisy a tantalizing glint of the brass barrel demoisy was unshaken it has hung in your shop for four months said he a year that is why i will sell it to you at the loss of a dollar liar and son of a liar replied the boy without any heat and grandson of a liar i sold it to you for five dollars four months ago i will give you eight for it to-day he counted out the eight dollars one by one on the raised floor of the booth and the shopman could not resist very well he cried furiously take it and may your children starve as mine surely will you are a pig and son of a pig replied demoisy calmly have you any powder he changed his ninth dollar and bought some powder you will need bullets too said mustapha i will sell you them very cheap 
oh you are lucky do you see those signs upon the barrel the pistol is charmed and cannot miss Demasy looked at the signs engraved one above the other on the barrel there was a crown and a strange letter and a lion he had long wondered what those signs meant he was very glad now that he understood but i will not buy lead bullets said Demasy wisely the pistol may be enchanted so that it cannot miss but there are also enchantments against lead bullets so that they cannot hurt so Demasy walked away and begged a lump of rock salt from another booth instead he cut down the lump until it fitted roughly into the hexagonal barrel of his pistol then he loaded the pistol and hiding the weapon in the wide sleeve of his jellaba sauntered to the great square before the renegade's gate there were groups of people standing about watching the tents and the inevitable ring of sentries but when Demasy was still loitering he would have loitered for a fortnight if need be for there were no limits to Demasy's patience arden came out of the tent with his camera and challoner followed with a tripod stand the two consuls passed the line of guards and set up the camera in front of the renegade's gate Demasy was quite impartial which of the two should be sacrificed to begin the jihad but again an ironical fate laid its hands upon him it was arden who was to work the camera it was arden therefore who was surrounded by the idlers and was safe challoner on the other hand had to stand quite apart so as to screen the lens from the direct rays of the sun a little more to the right challoner said arden uh, that'll do he put his head under the focusing cloth and the next instant he heard a loud report followed by shouts and screams and the rush of feet and when he tore the focusing cloth away he saw challoner lying upon the ground the sentries agitatedly rushing this way and that and the bystanders to a man in full flight Demasy had chosen his opportunity well he stood between two men and rather behind them and exactly opposite challoner all eyes were fixed upon the camera even challoner's it was true that he did see the sun glitter suddenly upon something bright that he did turn that he did realize that the bright thing was the brass barrel of a big flintlock pistol but before he could move or shout the pistol was fired and a heavy blow like a blow from a cudgel struck him full in the chest challoner spoke no more than a few words afterwards the lump of rock salt had done the work of an explosive bullet he was just able to answer a question of arden's did you see who fired the boy who came from Mulai Idris, whispered Challoner, he shot me with a brass-barreled pistol. That seemed to have made a most vivid impression upon his mind, for more than once he repeated it. But Demasy was by this time out of the renegade's gate and running with all his might through the olive grove toward the open lawless country south of Mekinez. By the evening he was safe from capture and lifted up with pride certainly no jihad had followed upon the murder and that was disappointing but it was not demasy's fault he had done his best according to his lights meanwhile it seemed prudent to him to settle down quietly at Adagurai. he was nearly sixteen now demasy thought that he would settle down and marry 
here the episode would have ended but for two circumstances in the first place demozy carried back with him from mequinez the brass-barrelled pistol and in the second place arden two years later acted upon a long-cherished desire to penetrate the unmapped country south of mequinez he travelled with a mule as a jew pedlar knowing that such a man for the sake of his wares may go where a moor may not of his troubles during his six months wanderings now is not the time to speak it is enough that at the end of the six months he set up his canvas shelter one evening by the village of agurai the men came at once and squatted chattering about his shelter is there a woman in the village asked arden who will wash some clothes for me and the sheikh of the village rose up and replied yes the frenchwoman i will send her to you arden was perplexed it seemed extraordinary that in a little village in a remote and unusually lawless district of morocco there should be a french blanchise but he made no comment and spread out his wares upon the ground in a few moments a woman appeared she had the arab face the arab colour but she stood unconcernedly before arden and said in arabic i am the frenchwoman give me the clothes you want washing arden reached behind him for the bundle he addressed her in french but she shook her head and carried the bundle away her place was taken by another a very old dark woman who was accompanied by a youth carrying a closed basket pigeons said the old woman good fat live pigeons arden was fairly tired of that national food by this time and waved her away very well said she she took the basket from the youth placed it on the ground and opened the lid then she clapped her hands and the pigeons flew out as they rose into the air she laughed and cried out in english one two three and away arden was fairly startled what words are those he exclaimed english the old woman replied in arabic i am the englishwoman and the men of the village who were clustered round the shelter agreed as though nothing could be more natural yes she is the englishwoman and what do the words mean the old woman shrugged her shoulders my father used them just as i did she said she spoke with a certain pride in the possession of those five uncomprehended words he learned them from his father i do not know what they mean it was mystifying enough to arden that in a country where hardly a moor of a foreign tribe and certainly no europeans had ever been known to penetrate there should be a frenchwoman who knew no french and an englishwoman with five words of english she did not understand but there was more than this to startle arden he had heard those same words spoken once before by a moorish boy who had declared himself to be an englishman and that moorish boy had murdered his friend challoner arden glanced carelessly at the youth who stood by the old woman's side that is your son said he yes that is demozy demozy's cheeks wore the shadow of a beard he had grown arden could not pretend to himself that he recognized the boy who had sprung up from the asphodel bushes a few miles from mulai idris he bethought himself of a way to test his suspicions he took from his wares an old rusty pistol and began to polish it a firearm he knew to be a lure to any moor demozy drew nearer arden paid no attention but continued to polish his pistol a keen excitement was gaining on him but he gave no sign at last demozy reached out his hand 
Arden placed the pistol in it. Demosy turned the pistol over and gave it back. Ah, it is no good. Arden laughed. There is no better pistol in a gurai, he said contemptuously. In his ears there was the sound of Challoner's voice repeating and repeating, He shot me with a brass-barreled pistol! A brass-barreled pistol! The contempt in his tone stung Demosy. I have a better, said he, and at that the old woman touched him warningly on the arm. Demosy stopped at once, and the couple moved away. Arden wondered whether this was the end. There was a chance that it was not. Demosy might return to compare his pistol with Arden's, and to establish its superiority. Arden waited all the evening in a strong suspense, and at ten o'clock, when he was alone, Demosy stepped noiselessly into the shelter, and laid his brass-barreled pistol on the ground in the light of the lamp. "'It is better than yours. It comes from Agadir, in the Sus country, where the best pistols are made. See, those letters prove it.' Arden had no doubt that he now had Challoner's murderer sitting at his table. But he looked at the letters on the pistol-barrel to which Demosy pointed. The words were in English, and made up the name Bennett. There was also engraved upon the brass of the barrel, London. The pistol was an old horse-pistol of English make. Even its period was clear to Arden, for above the lion and the crown was the letter C. Arden pointed to those marks. What do they mean? They are charms to prevent it missing. Arden said nothing. His thoughts were busy on other matters. This pistol was a pistol of the time of Charles the Second, of the time of the Tangier siege. How long have you had it? he asked. My father owned it before me. And his father before him? Very likely. I do not know. Arden's excitement was increasing. He began to see dim, strange possibilities. Suppose he reasoned that this pistol had travelled up to Mequinez in the possession of an English prisoner. Suppose that by some chance the prisoner had escaped and wandered, and suddenly he saw something which caught his breath away. He bent down and examined the brass covering to the heel of the butt. Upon that plate there was an engraved crest. Yes, and the crest was Challoner's. Arden kept his face bent over the pistol. Questions raced through his mind. Had that pistol belonged to Luke Challoner, who had turned renegade two hundred years ago? Had he married in his captivity? Had his descendants married again, until all trace of their origin was lost, except this pistol and five words of English, and the name Englishwoman? Ah, but if so, who was the Frenchwoman? It was quite intelligible to Arden why Demosy had slain Challoner. Fanaticism was sufficient reason. But supposing Demosy were a descendant of Luke? It was all very strange. Challoner was the last of his family, the last of his name. Had the family name been extinguished by a Challoner? Arden returned to Mequinez the next day, and, making search, through the help of the bashaw, who was his friend, amongst documents which existed, he at last came upon the explanation. The renegades, who were made up not merely of English prisoners of Tangier, but of captives of many nationalities taken by the Sali pirates, had, about the year 1700, become numerous enough to threaten Mequinez. Consequently, the Sultan had one fine morning turned them all out of the town through the renegades' gate, and bidden them go south and found a city for themselves. 
They had founded a Gorai. They had been attacked by the Benemtur. With diminishing numbers they had held their own. They had intermarried with the natives, and now, two hundred years later, all that remained of them were the Frenchwoman, Demuzi, and his mother. There could be no doubt that Challoner had been murdered because he was a European, by one of his own race. There could be no doubt that the real owner of the Challoner property, which went to a distant relation on the female side, was a Moorish youth living at the village of Agurai. But Arden kept silence for a long while. End of Story One